Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Geek Studios Podcast. I am one of your hosts, I'm Miguel. Um, I am here with Ernest Roberts. And today is a special episode because we have a special guest. Today we have Matthew. Now, is your last name Hansel? Oh, so I'm Mexican. I, I would say that as Hansel because that's an actual first name for some people. So mm-hmm. I, 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 was, I was wondering, like, how, how, do you, how do you pronounce your last name? Uh, it's German, so uh, Hansel is Hansel. Uh, you're you're right on the money. <laughs> Woo! There you go. Uh, so there's one thing I, I will I will tell you ahead of time. I am horrible with pronunciation. Uh, there's certain words I cannot say. Um, Mike novice. <laughs> so I could say novice. It's just when I read it the first time, I say novice, no novice. Nah. So it, it, it takes me some time, but but it's okay. Like uh, I got Ernest here. Who corrects me maybe <laughs> 10 times uh, 10 times every episode but uh so yeah so matthew so you'd have a kickstarter uh right now that's that's going on uh tell us a little bit about the kickstarter and a little bit about the project um, sure okay uh i have a, a kickstarter for my first original graphic novel uh it's creator owned it's called marty and spud and the castle of the lost land uh, Marty and Spud is a web comic, uh, or started off as a web comic that I created about ten years ago for uh, Go Comics Comic Sherpa site. It was a place where you could put your uh, web comic, uh, and it would be intermingled then with all you know Calvin and Hobbes and and uh, Dick Tracy and all that stuff. Uh, so I did that for about two years, and then it went uh, to Webtoons for a while, and then I went into self-publishing. And uh, about a year or so ago, Gorilla Comics approached me and asked me if I'd like to do something with them. And uh, we kicked around a couple ideas, and I landed on doing a Marty and Spud book. So what I'm doing, actually, is a graphic novel adaptation of the first story I did for the webcomic. Um, so it's a 64-page, full-color uh, graphic novel. Uh, the Kickstarter is going on right now. It goes on till uh, March 12th. And uh, we have all kinds of rewards and incentives for it. You can get the graphic novel. You can get a digital copy. You can get a copy with uh, an exclusive print, which is limited to a certain number of copies. Uh, there's a sketch edition, which comes with an original sketch. Uh, there's T-shirts and magnets and stickers and uh, commission opportunities. Um, a lot of people uh, commission me to do Golden Age uh, cover recreations and Golden Age art like nice. Dick Spring, Batman, and Jerry Siegel, Superman. Uh, that's one of the reward tiers is you can get uh, a uh, Golden Age cover recreation done by me if if you so choose. Um, so I'm pretty excited about this. Marty and Spud... Uh, uh, is the story of uh, the characters are uh, have a interesting origin. So Marty and Spud, uh, Marty is like a 10 year old boy. Spud is his cat and they go off on adventures. Some of them are imaginary. So they're just playing in the backyard. Like when we were kids, right. You'd play Indiana Jones in the backyard yeah. <laughs> and you might, you might match that up with like transformers or something. Right. So that's what, that's what Marty does in the backyard with Spud and with his friends, they play, you know, stuff like this. So some of the adventures are them imagining playing superheroes or Indiana Jones or whatever. Some of the adventures are actual things that happen to them. Uh, there's a story that I'm going to do next year 
where Marty and Spud go with his parents to a dinner party and they encounter a very strange chef who's fighting a mouse uh, in the kitchen uh, and all the hijinks that go along with that. Um, this particular story for the Kickstarter, though, uh, is an imaginary story. Uh, Marty is kind of dressed like Indiana Jones meets Han Solo uh, with a giant backpack, and he and Spud go off on a backyard adventure. They meet this character named Hammer, and uh, they talk to a guy who's been turned into a rock, and they need to defeat an evil wizard so that he they can break <laughs> the curse over this land. And in the first 10 pages, Marty's going through the woods with Spud, and he goes, we just agreed to help a talking rock. How cool is that? <laughs> that, that, um, that is pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so it's, it, it's, it's that kind of fun childhood kind of adventure. Uh, I really uh, create this stuff with kids in mind, but I think adults, if they reach into their childhood, uh, really can enjoy these stories, uh, these stories as well. Um, and, uh, they're a lot of fun to tell. Uh, I, I just did a new Marty and Spud story that was a parody of the Mandalorian. Oh. Um, it was a, a real life adventure. So, you know, the episodes where, uh, the Mandalorian has to take the frog lady with the eggs yes. and yeah. they have to deliver them. <laughs> so I, I did a mashup of that where Marty agrees to take tadpoles from his classroom to go take them to the river. And so he, he and Spud dress up like the Mandalorian and the child, and they go through all these strange adventures. There's even giant spiders. Um, and I did that as an exclusive comic for the Northwest Indiana Con, which was just this past weekend uh, in, uh, in Crown Point, Indiana. Um, so it's, it's a lot of fun doing those stories. And uh, uh, the Kickstarter is off to a strong start. Um, and so, uh, if you follow me on social media, I'm at, uh, Matthew Hansel at, uh, on, uh, Instagram, uh, Marty and Spud, you can find on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash Marty and Spud. And at those places or at the gorilla comic site, there's links everywhere to the Kickstarter, um, and, uh, how you can join and participate in that. Okay. Um, so we're really big fans of, uh, of a guerrilla publishing here. Um, what's got every single project that they've come out with, like we've always been huge fans of every project that's come out. Um, so when we got a chance to, um, to talk to you and a little bit about your Kickstarter, uh, we were really thrilled. We, we did start looking up um, what's it called? Marty and Spud, like a little bit online. Mm -hmm. uh, sure. So we found a few, we found a few small bits of it. And I was like, oh, you know what? I really enjoyed it. Um, I could. So I am a, 34 i forget my age i'm a 34 year old man uh but i still feel like i'm like i'm a child inside like and i love reading comics like that that kind of brings my inner childhood out um i have a huge imagination too. so i i'm like i could totally see myself having those adventures as well um like i have a 14 year old and i show i i always love showing her um some of the things i find get her opinion on it and she she really liked it as well uh, oh very even, cool even though like you know they're teens so they're like oh yeah that's cool oh yeah but then they go back texting on their phone i was like oh man I wish <laughs> <laughs> that's about as good a reaction as you can uh, yeah. as you can hope for right i definitely agree <clears throat> yeah. and um i felt the same way um when miguel introduced us into grill publishing and what would be who we'd be guest on this week 
and then showed us some of the research he was in, of course, I have to dig off into my own. Like, okay, it really piqued my interest. <laughs> um, it definitely but, reminds me, like the web comics that we found, where it put me in the mind of that Sunday comic strip, and I really enjoyed it. Like that, it really touched that nostalgia part for me, which is why I liked it. And then, of course, I liked the titles, like the funny characters, the the adventures that they go on, it, it just reminded me of every cartoon of, and the reason why I love doing what we do. I love being a geek. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. It, 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 it's a lot of fun to create those kinds of adventures. Um, it, I, I have to be careful sometimes when I do it that I don't venture too far into Calvin and Hobbes territory. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, it, it, they. I mean, the the strip obviously owes a little bit to Calvin and Hobbes, but it it really has kind of three main origins. Calvin and Hobbes is one of them, but uh, there was it, its real origin. Uh, it, there was a strip in the 1930s called Dickie Dare, and it was done by Milton Kniff, who would later go on to do Terry and the Pirates and uh, Steve Canyon and stuff. He was a big newspaper cartoonist. And the concept of Dickie Dare was Dickie uh, was a kid and he had a dog and Dickie would read like Robinson Crusoe or the, or uh, the three Musketeers or something like that. And while he was reading the story, he would fall asleep and he would imagine himself in the adventures with the three Musketeers and stuff. And when I read the strip for the first, those strips for the first time, I'm like, what an awesome idea. Why is no one doing this now? <laughs> uh, and so Marty and Spud was born <laughs> uh, 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 kind of at that moment. Um, and I, I took the names from, I, it wasn't terribly inventive, but uh, my best friend growing up was Marty. Uh, and he unfortunately died when he was 25 in a car accident. Um and he was like a brother to me growing up. Uh, we were very close. So it kind of is a homage to him. Uh, I named Marty after him. And Spud was my cat growing up as a kid. And Spud died when I was a freshman in college during finals week. Uh, so as a kind of memorial to both of them and to give them both some immortality, I uh, I named the lead characters after Marty and Spud. Um And uh, hopefully they'll keep continuing having adventures. <laughs> If um if you are a fan of Marty and Spud before, I think after hearing that you're definitely even a bigger fan now. Like uh, <laughs> that that's that that is I have to tell you that is amazing. Um, what's called for you to be able to um like keep them with you in that way, like and and uh, rem rem remind them of or have the remembrance of of them with you. Um, so when did you first start um write, either writing comics or webtoons? Um, were, were you well, always doing it since you were young? I, uh, I, I would doodle a lot uh, as a kid. I, I was always drawing, uh, cartooning always interested me. Um, when I was a kid, I grew up out in the country, so we didn't get the daily newspaper, but we would get the Sunday newspapers every week. And, uh, one of my favorite things to do would, as soon as we got the paper would be to grab the Sunday comics and run yeah. off into the, into the library or living room or something and go read them. And uh, so that had a, you know, Dick Tracy, uh, shoe peanuts, Calvin and Hobbes all had a huge, huge, huge influence on me uh, in terms of doing that. Uh, 
I first figured out when I was in eighth grade that people got paid to write and draw comics. <laughs> and when I figured that out, that pretty much became an obsession for me after that point was to figure out how to, how to do that professionally. Um, when I went to college and stuff, I didn't go to college for uh, art or anything like that. Uh, my degrees in political science, but my, uh, minor is in journalism and I was going to be an editorial cartoonist. Uh, so I studied politics so I could learn about, you know, how to do good editorial cartoons and things like that. Um, and then found out that the newspaper industry was dying just as I was graduating from college yeah. in the late nineties, <laughs> you know, and the internet was taking off. The internet was taking off the big boom. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and I, I originally was just going to be a writer. Uh, but a lot of people told me, well, at least learn to draw at least good enough so you can at least tell the stories that you want to, because most artists won't listen to what the writers say anyway. Um, and so that's kind of always been my attitude about my art is I know I'm never going to be like Neil Adams or Charles Schultz or someone like that, but can I at least draw and tell a story well enough that I can get my point across and entertain people, um, which I think I can like hopefully I can, I can do. I can commit. You definitely do. Um, <laughs> I you. actually appreciate your drawing style. Well, thank gonna, you. I was going to say, if you think you can't draw, you should see my drawings. <laughs> <laughs> you, you might be like, what kid drew this? You know? <laughs> uh, but I, uh, so when I was in college, I had my own daily strip. And it was interesting in college because it was set up at the newspaper that you could kind of make as much money as you wanted to as a cartoonist. But a lot of the cartoonists were really lazy. They only wanted to do their daily strips. They didn't want to do any other drawing. So I found out that uh, you got paid more to do editorial cartoons and to do spot illustrations for the columnists. So I would do like 10 cartoons a week on top of my daily strip because no one else wanted to do the editorial cartoons <laughs> or anything like that. So it was great. I, I made a pretty good living as a car, as a college cartoonist, at least uh, when I was in college uh, doing all that stuff. Uh, I wandered off though and worked for the government for about 15 years uh, after college. Uh, so I, I at least paid for a pension or something like that. Uh, <laughs> but the whole time I drew and I stayed active in, um, in the amateur press and in the fanzines and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I worked for the Charlton Arrow when it was revived uh, about seven or eight years ago. Um, Marty and Spud, I did about 10 years ago. I created a couple other web comics before that that didn't really go anywhere. Uh, but I always kept my hand in it. And then when I decided to go freelance seven years ago, uh, Marty and Spud was right at the top of my list of things that I wanted to do. And along the way, I got sidetracked doing underdog and uh, a whole, and we can talk about that uh, if you want. Oh yeah. Uh, and, and doing, uh, doing that kind of stuff. But uh it's it's been a wild ride already and i'm still at the beginning part of my career <laughs> um i do want to ask though in this long years it seems like you've been drawing marty as well for well over 10 years now yeah what has been your favorite adventure of theirs that you've drawn so far of the of the ones that have been published um I did a Dick Tracy parody story of uh, late in my run at Charles or at uh, Comics Sherpa at Go Comics. 
And uh, I really enjoyed that story. It, I really played with anthropomorphic characters in that story. So I had crows that were actual, you know, like uh, 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 Al Capone kind of characters. <laughs> um, you know, I uh, so I, I really tried to play with with that kind of stuff. Um, I was really comfortable with the art. Uh, at that point, I was experimenting a lot with different sizes and tools and things, but uh, I was really proud of of that story. Uh, my favorite story, although I wish I could go back and redraw it, um, I did a, a Peanuts throwback where Spud and Marty uh, are flying a camel sop with and actually take on the Red Baron. <laughs> um, and I I inked that story. Uh, the Charles Schultz Museum sells pens with Charles Schultz's nibs on them that he used to use to ink the strip. So I bought a dozen nibs and got them shipped to me. And I drew the whole, I think it was a two month long story. Uh, I drew every strip using one of those pens uh, right. to kind of keep the spirit of Charles Schultz alive <laughs> a little bit. Wow. Um, <laughs> I, I I might actually uh, at some point go back and revisit. That might make a good graphic novel. I might uh, I might revisit that story. I I don't even know what to say anymore. I was like, oh, like it, <laughs> it, I thought it was gonna be hard to beat the Mandalorian ver- uh, uh, what's called story, but this definitely. Uh, oh, um, I'm impressed. I'm, I didn't I'm see quite impressed. a few of these stories, and he came up with some really good ones. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I did. Um, it's not online, I don't think anymore. But I did a Star Trek parody, which was a lot of fun. Um, it was an excuse to learn how to use 3D models and incorporate them into the comics. Um, and so that was the whole reason I did. It. I found an interior of the Enterprise and an exterior of the Enterprise uh, that I could move around in and shoot from any angle. Yeah. So I thought, well, wouldn't that be interesting if I, if I had the set there, then all I would have to do is use a light box, trace it off and I could add the characters then. Uh, and then for the exterior shots of the ship, it would be very accurate, right? I can, I can just trace the models. So I did that. That was a fun story to do. It was, uh, I'm not the biggest Star Trek fan. I'm a much bigger Star Wars fan. Uh, but it was still fun to kind of have Spud be Spock, you know. I gave him the pointed ears. And <laughs> Marty was Marty was a great Captain Kirk, all impetuous and stuff like that. Oh, that's amazing! Um, so, what do you think is one of the hardest things to do when you when you're creating these uh, either these comic strips or the graphic novels? Um, for me, I think it, it's. Uh, it, it, the storytelling. I, mm-hmm. I, I really, I, I have two kind of competing goals with with telling this story, and one is uh, because I, I envision my work being read by kids primarily. I try to keep the storytelling as clear as possible, so not a lot of wonky panel arrangements or things like that. Um, but also, I don't want to have you know a static camera that's boring. So it's it's really a challenge to try to tell the story in a dynamic way that's still very very clear that you know that kids would still understand, um, or or even um, you know I, I try to think about well what if this was a person's first comic book would they know how to read it, um, and and so I, I try to keep that in mind as well. So to me that's that's the hardest part because it's the most challenging part is to you know simultaneously not repeat yourself make it interesting to look at, but also don't make it 
hard to follow. You know, sometimes I love Neil Adams, but sometimes his page layout, you wonder, am I supposed to read this balloon first or this one or, <laughs> or who's talking first? You know, and I've been reading comics for 40 years and, 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 you know, I wonder if I gave this to someone who'd never read one, would they know what the hell's going yeah. on? <laughs> um, so I, I, that, that's the, the hardest part to me is, is to really try to, to keep that, uh, those two competing things kind of going. Okay. If you could work, like if you could work on any project with any company, with anybody, what, what project would you want to do? Like if, if you had full rights, full everything, uh, whether that be, you know, a Marty and Spud story or whether that's a, a different story that you would want to work on. If I, I, well, there used to be a different answer to this story. It used to be that I would tell you that I would do underdog in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Um, and lo and behold, <laughs> underdog is one of the very first things I did professionally <laughs> in, <laughs> in comics. Um, uh, but right now, uh, my white whale is Dick Tracy. I have been very, very close a couple times to drawing Dick Tracy professionally. Um, and, uh, I was very good friends with Dick Loker, uh, the guy that wrote and drew Dick Tracy, um, for a big chunk of the last 30 years. And, uh, um, I, watching him work on the strip really inspired me. And it was a, a, a seminal strip growing up when I was a kid, I used to read it all the time. Um, so right now, if, if I had the chance, I would, uh, it, I'd probably do Dick Tracy it, it, that or a golden age Batman story. Uh, like in the style of Dick Spring, or or in a perfect world, I could do a a, a crossover: Dick Tracy and Batman uh, mm. versus Flat Top and the Joker. That would, yeah, if I could get yeah. the Tribune and DC Comics to talk to each other, right? Um, <laughs> oh, they talk about political red tape, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, yeah, no kidding, you know, uh, but. Uh, that so, and I used to say, you know, bucket list projects never happened, but underdog happened. So, um, I have to be careful about, uh, about what I say, I guess about that. So how was it working in with, uh, underdog? It was a dream come true. Uh, it was, I couldn't believe I was doing it the entire time I was working on it. Um, <laughs> the way I got the job, uh, so American mythology for free comic book day one year, put out an underdog book and it was right around the time I'd gone freelance. I'd been freelance for a year or two at that point. And I noticed um, that the cover was done by a guy named Bill Gavin Galvin, and he works for Archie comics mostly. And I know Bill. So I thought to myself, well, I should contact Bill because if they're going to do underdog comics, this is going to be like the last chance to do underdog comics. And I really need to be able to work on them. Even if I just letter them or something, you know, I, I need to be able to work on them somehow. So I put together some samples and I contacted Bill and I said, you know, I'm not asking to put you out of a job or anything, but if you could put me in touch with your editors or anything like that, I'd really love a chance to do something just to cover or do some coloring, whatever. And Bill looked at my samples and he really liked my inking. And he said, you know, let me talk to my editors and see what I can do. And a week later, he contacted me and said, I got you a gig. It's not much, but it's your foot in the door. And it was coloring a three-page 
um, Mr. Peabody and Sherman story for Rocky and Bull. Nice. <laughs> nice. And so, and I love Sherman and Peabody. So that was, I'm like, <laughs> oh, wow. Right. You know, first professional gig, Sherman and Peabody. So I did that and uh, it went very smoothly. I had a great time. I talked to the editor and the editor said, well, you did such a good job with this. Uh, you're on our short list now. So we rotate through colorists and inkers and stuff. So you're on the rotation now. So as things come up, you'll, you'll get work. And I, uh, about 10 years before that, had bought at Heritage Auctions an unpublished underdog story, actually two under unpublished underdog stories from the 1970s when Gold Key had the license. Mm-hmm. They uh, they went out of business, but they they had two unpublished underdog stories, and they were still in pencil form. They'd only been penciled and lettered; they weren't inked or colored or anything. And so I contacted my editor and I said, "You know, I have these two unpublished underdog stories that are in pencil form." If you guys want to use them as part of a trade paperback or something like that, you know, I'm happy to let you use them for a fee or something like that. And my editor said, well, let me talk to the publisher. So the publisher contacted me the next day and said, oh, we don't want to use these for just backup stuff. We're going to publish a special and it's going to be called the 1975 special, the underdog 1975 special. And he said, so what do you want to do for this? And I said, well, I would like to ink and color them if possible. And they said, deal. <laughs> they said, deal. And, and they, you know, they told me what my page rate would be. And I'm like, okay, cool. And as it turns out, I actually ended up repenciling them because DreamWorks, uh, who owns Underdog, everything when you uh, submit stuff for license work has to go to the licensor for approval. So, uh, they sent those pencil pages to DreamWorks to, you know, for approval and DreamWorks tore them apart and basically said, nothing on these pages is on model. Everything needs to be redrawn. So the publisher contacted me and said, you know, uh, DreamWorks thinks that these pages need to be totally redrawn. Do you think you can do this or should we hire a penciler to do it? And I'm like, Oh no, 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 I can, (laughs) I can can do this. (laughs) So, uh, so I did, I spent um, 10 days cause it was two five page stories. So I spent 10 days repenciling the story and they sent them up to DreamWorks and it came back with zero corrections. <laughs> oh. So, uh, so then I inked and colored them and that actually turned out to be my first underdog work uh, was the 1975 special, even though I'm not credited as the penciler, I actually ended up penciling it. So that's my first really credited <laughs> work right after I finished that. Uh, Bill Galvin contacted me again to say that the inker for underdog wasn't going to ink anymore. He was getting too much work from Archie. It was Bob Smith who worked at DC comics and stuff. Um, would I be interested in inking underdog? <laughs> and I'm like, well, of course I would. So I got to ink the last two issues of the original underdog series that they did. And then they were going to relaunch the book as underdog and friends and Bill had a conflict in his schedule with Archie when they needed the book penciled. So he couldn't pencil the book. So my editor said, well, you did such a good job with the 75 special. Do you think you can pencil a book from the ground up? I'm like, oh, yeah. He goes, good, cause I need and he goes, good, because I need it in 12 days. <laughs> so I, I did. I penciled the, the first issue of Underdog and Pals in 12 days and got it off to DreamWorks and... 
uh, and then you know worked on the rest of the series and did the Commander McBrag stories and it was a great great experience. It was so much fun. I I wish the series was still going on. Wow, I mean that's just that that's amazing. Like, you're... and like Underdog was a character <laughs> I grew up watching on Channel Thirty Two. You know, I would I would pit, I would uh, clothespin a dish towel to my shirt, and fly around playing Never Underdog. Fear. You know, right? Underdog, <laughs> underdog is like, right? Is here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, it was great. So it, it was just it was tremendous fun uh, working on it. it. Was just it was so much fun. Yeah, like I, I grew up watching those cartoons as well. Like um, when we were little, we didn't really have uh, like cable, cable. So like they would, my dad would go out and buy old cartoons and like the DVD cases where yeah, like, yeah, hundred cartoons, a <laughs> thousand yeah. cartoons. Yeah, so, like, yeah, yeah. I had like that's where I, I would those see them. too. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, we didn't have we. I grew up out in the country. We didn't have cable till after I went to college. <laughs> so you know, it was. So I I totally understand that. I get that. Oh man, yeah, but that is amazing. Like, um, I I don't even know what questions to ask you next. It's like, <laughs> wow, do you have anything, Ernest? Because right now I'm a little mind blown. So I'm gonna need a I'm gonna need a few uh, a few seconds to reevaluate myself. <laughs> to gather it in mind. That's fair. Um, I do have a few questions. So first off, being with such an amazing resume and working with and so close to all of these uh, comics and really comics and animations that really built the industry. What is the one thing that you feel like you learned the most? I would like to add that amazing is the un- understatement. Well, like as an, it's not just an amazing resume. It's an outstanding, outstanding <laughs> resume. <laughs> Thank you. Outstandingly amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, what's the thing I learned? Yeah, or, or the the biggest thing I learned, um, I I think working on Underdog, uh, and then also working on Casper and all that stuff. I have a, I I always appreciated the simplicity of the design and how much they were able to do with that, because um, it's really deceptive how simple the characters look versus how complex they actually are when you construct them. Uh, and I I I I gathered a whole new appreciation for how they how they did that um it, it and that has definitely bled over into my work on marty and spud i i've redesigned the characters a little bit i don't know that people would be able to tell necessarily but the construction the way i construct the characters is very much influenced by working on underdog and rocky bullwinkle and stuff like that uh, it, it really made me appreciate that kind of animation design and construction and how universal um that stuff can be Uh, That is completely fair. Um, In the same line of questioning, um, I have to ask, as somebody who does a little doodling myself, you know, hope to be maybe a future voice actor, um, what would you recommend for somebody that's trying to get into the industry of... Into comics? Into comics. Yeah. um, They always joke that... uh, getting into comics is like breaking out of prison, right? Every, uh, they cut off the way that person (laughs) did it. Uh, I don't know that that's true, but, um, I would say the number one thing you have to be in, and this sounds dumb, but it, it really isn't. You have to be tenacious and, and you have to be tenacious. Like you've never been tenacious about something in your life. Um, 
I've known since I was 10 years old, I wanted to be a cartoonist and literally everything I've done, even majoring in political science, which might seem like a weird thing to do. I did through the prism of being a cartoonist because I did that with the idea that I was studying this so I could learn about these characters so I could parody them in editorial cartoons <laughs> or, or, you know, in, in Batman stories or whatever I was going to write at the time. And, um, it, 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 it's a, it's a dedication. And I, I think people give up too soon. I, I, I think when it really gets really tough, when it gets, uh, uh, hopeless in some ways, that's when people quit and they say, you know what, this art thing is why struggle like this. I can go, you know, I can go make $20 an hour, you know, laying bricks somewhere. <laughs> why don't I go do that instead? Yeah. You know, and plus I get vacation and all that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so I, I think a big part of it is it is that people quit too early. I, I, I think when it gets tough, it's when they quit. Um, and I, I think that it, the thing I would say to people is if you really want to do it, uh, stick with it. But also be be aware. Ask cartoonists, you know, what's it like? Don't ask about, you know, how do I draw Batman? Ask them, you know, how do I get gigs when there aren't any gigs to get? You know, like what other kind of jobs are there other than drawing comic books that are still related to doing art? You know, there's storyboards, there's animation design, there's advertising, which actually pays better than comics. You know, there's all kinds of stuff. <laughs> um, so I, I would tell people that uh, uh, to stick with it. And to, to just educate yourself about opportunities to wield your pen other than doing proper comic books, that there's lots of other opportunities, and many of them pay better than comic books, uh, to do stuff. You know, T-shirt designs, things like that. Uh, Dick Loker used to tell me, always remember, everything in the world was designed by an artist. Everything, from the That's chair so you sit on yeah. to the fork that you eat dinner with to the hat that you're wearing to the <laughs> phone you're using, everything had to be drawn by somebody first. So he would argue, he always used to argue to me that artists were the most, the single most important people on the planet. <laughs> I mean, that's a fair statement. <laughs> when you really put it in perspective, when you start to look around when, and think about when, it, when, like, yeah, everything. When he told me that it kind of blew my mind. <laughs> <I'm not gonna laughs> yeah. Um, so at one point, I was going to be an architect. So I had to learn how to draw blueprints and do things like right. that. So that's I completely right. understand about, like, when you think about it, you sit down and you everything that you see or you do, you have to draw first. I, I had to go to rapid visualization classes, be able to tell things from different perspectives and yeah. do all of these certain things. Like, it is... And move objects in 3D on a plane. And it, Architecture is a fantastic background, uh, especially if you want to do comics, um, because it teaches you about perspective and yeah. all of that kind of stuff. Um, do you guys know who Norm Brayfogle was? He drew Batman at DC Comics in the late 90s. Um, he died a couple years ago, but his his formal training was he was an architect. Um, and so he uh, when he came to comics, you could tell when he would draw buildings, you could definitely tell he was an architect <laughs> from from the technical drawings that he would do. <laughs> the thing, the closest thing I got to being art, being any doing any architect stuff is playing The Sims. 
<laughs> uh, well, you, you know, with some of the new architectural programs, uh, it, it's not too far away from. It's not. So, um, while I was in ITT Tech College, you know, that went tanked. But um, we used a program called um, AutoCAD. AutoCAD yeah, right, is right. what is like. It's com- is really similar to Sims. It is. And if, once you learn to use it, you can do amazing things with it. If yeah. if you and if you put CAD together with like Google Sketch It or something like that, it basically is Sims. You're absolutely right. You're building <laughs> walls. You're putting couches in places and stuff. Yeah. It, it really is. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, be a proficient in that, and it is love. I I just I wouldn't tell my dad that. Uh, so when he was in Mexico, he started to be a what is it? He was an engineer, so he used to do uh, blueprints and stuff. He, he <laughs> blueprint for roads, blueprint for uh you know machines and stuff so um till today like uh what's it called i have an uncle who works in construction he'll come to my dad my dad will do the blueprint for him um and like i will i look at the blueprint i understand it i'm like you know he's like what do you want to learn how to draw one i'm like nah it's cool i got sims for that sims are Minecraft. <laughs> 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 all right um i do have one more question um with again Still talking about all of your resume and your work history. Who was the one person that you've met that you just felt starstruck? Um, to give an example, um, I've been working, I was going in a boot camp, and in this boot camp, there is a legendary guy who um it's a technology boot camp. He is one of the first people they got all no, it was not <laughs> you. <laughs> but um he was one of the first people that got all nine cloud certifications. He was working in this top tier job. He was a, uh, a guru. He was a cloud ninja. And the very first time I met him, uh, Miguel can attest to this. You know, I got a little starstruck. You know, I <laughs> couldn't speak. It was like very, oh. very. Like it was <laughs> a point, I was next to him. He was like, "Scoot over, scoot over." I'm like, "Why?" <laughs> in case he wants to sit here, scoot over. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was like. Um, I've been that starstruck where I couldn't speak. It, it, it was just an amazing to be in his presence and be able to sit down and talk to him and share knowledge in that point. Who is that person for you? Um, there's, I've been lucky enough. I've got two people like that. Uh, one was Dick Loker, uh, who was my friend. And even though he and I had been friends for a decade, it was still amazing to go to his house and go have lunch with him and then watch him drawing his editorial cartoons and drawing Dick Tracy. Um, you know, he worked at the Tribune for 40 years or something like that. Uh, it, it was hard to keep my fanboy in check. Like what (laughs) pen are you using, you know, kind of thing when talking to him because Dick just wanted to have normal conversation. Um, so that was that was hard to do, uh, and he was a very very good friend of mine. The other person is a guy who I work for now. Uh, during the day, I am uh, an assistant for Anomaly Productions. I work for Brian Haberlin, and uh, Brian co-created Witchblade and kind of invented computer coloring as we know it in comics today. And he teaches, and you know, he still is very active in publishing and stuff. Um, and I have worked for him for a little over a year now, and uh, I learned so much. It's and, and he is such a legend in the industry. I mean, he wrote and drew Spawn for two years. Um, you know, he was the editor in chief for McFarland Productions for you know five or six years, 
it's it's I talk to him on the phone almost you know a couple times a week. I email him every day. It's it's <laughs> it, it, it it's hard to to talk, and especially when he asks my opinion about something. Like, what do you think about this? I'm like, I. You're Brian Haverly. I don't know. <laughs> you know. You're asking me about input, right? You know, uh, jo- John Mellencamp tells stories about Bob Dylan used to call him up in the middle of the night and read song lyrics to him and say, "What do you think of this?" And John would say, "You know, look at what I write versus what you write. Of course, I think what you write is genius." You know? <laughs> uh, that's kind of how I feel uh, when, when I when I talk to Brian. Um, but he, he definitely leaves me starstruck. Uh, and I learn from him every day. He's, he's shown me how to use poser and all these computer programs and stuff. Um, (laughs) and you know, how to do 3d comics and things like that. And, uh, so it's, it's, it's hard sometimes talking to him because he'll say, you know, I was just talking to Todd McFarland on the phone, or I was talking to Jim Valentino or something like that. And, you know, cause he knows these guys personally. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, so that, that leaves me a little starstruck quite a bit. (laughs) I I, I would be starstruck myself and I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Yeah. I mean, just working for him is, is starstruck. (laughs) (laughs) I can imagine. I knew Miguel was going to be speechless once you started talking about his editor spawn. Miguel is a (laughs) huge spawn fan. And, I believe he yeah, went up we, a little bit. We just did a uh, for for Hellcop the series that we're working on now. Uh, we just for the first issue, Spawn was on one of the retailer incentive covers. Um, Todd let us use Spawn for that. <laughs> that is amazing. Uh, I all right. Um... <laughs> Here, wow, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, you you want to talk you want to talk about being starstruck i'll give you an example okay so a couple weeks ago brian wanted to see how i would lay out a story because he also on top of being his assistant he also wants to teach me stuff okay and he goes and he said you know really try to put your neil adams head on don't he goes i know you can tell a story in your cartoony style. And he goes, and, you know, I know you know how to do that, but I, I want you to tell a story my way, you know, do it, you know, big and bold and dynamic. And so I did the first five pages of this new script we're working on and it sucked <laughs> I mean, <they> were <laughs> because I can't get out of like the Marty and Spud mindset. And he sent me, he goes, let me send, he goes, these, he goes, they're, they're not bad. He goes, you told the story, he goes, but they're not dynamic, right? Push the envelope, move the camera more. And he goes, let me send you some inspiration. He sent me two issues of Spawn that Greg Capullo had done <laughs> over his layouts. And I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> it's only Greg Capullo, right? <laughs> right? Yeah, you know, and you know, and I'm like, you know, this is, you know, this will be easy to live up to, sure. <laughs> Oh uh, man! But, it, it, but you know that's the kind of wonderful uh, environment, though, to to work in. You know, to, to really, to, you know, for him to take the time and say, "Hey, look, no, look at this. Uh, uh, do it this way." Uh, is that's that? So you want to talk about getting you know flabbergasted or tongue tied or whatever? That that happens on a fairly regular basis. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I only had to pay like I think one hundred and fifty dollars to get Greg Capullo's signature on something. But <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow. What, what 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 did you get signed? Uh, it's was it Spawn? Uh, I I think it was Spawn because I was trying to get Todd's signature on Spawn, uh, but I ended up getting in one of the Spider-Man comics that he did. Ah, Todd has a wonderful autograph too, doesn't he? He yeah, it is a fantastic <laughs> looking autograph. 
It, I, you know, yeah. I, 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 uh, I, I, I have known. I'm, I'm not a like a McFarland, a huge McFarland fan or anything like that. But I, I mean, I like his stuff. But uh, he's one of the people I would go get his autograph just because the autograph looks cool. <laughs> it, it does look cool. I'm not gonna lie. It does look. It does look very cool. So I do have a question, man. Um, so when I was looking up a little bit of the stuff, a little bit of the work you've done, um, so they use this. They 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 listed um, underdog, uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle, Casper the Friendly Ghost, which I. I I am a huge Casper and the Friendly Ghost fan. Uh, <laughs> Tennessee Tuxedo. And another one of my personal favorites, which is Pink Panther. Uh, Sherman Ooh, and Mr. Peabody. And it says, and others. So now I'm curious. What is the other? Because, I mean, that list is huge. So um, what others could there to, be? To that list, uh, I can add the Three Stooges. Um, I did a Christmas story for them uh, at the end of last year. Uh, the publisher of American Mythology called me up the week before Thanksgiving and said, can you do a five-page story in four days? <laughs> Pencils, <laughs> letters, and inks. And I'm like, um, he goes, I'll pay you extra. I'm like, yeah, I can definitely do it. <laughs> uh, and so I did that. It looks like I drew it in three days, but um but I, I can add the three Stooges. I never thought I would cross paths with the Stooges. Um, and I also did a um, three witch, three witch sisters, which is some ancillary characters. Um, when Casper, the friendly ghost was published by Harvey comics, um, they created a whole universe of characters to go along with Casper and the three witch sisters are some of those characters. And so I did uh, a story with them as well. So my girlfriend is, uh, she's not a huge fan of comic books and stuff like that. But wait till I tell her, you know who I interviewed? I interviewed somebody that worked in Casper and the friendly ghost in the comics. She's going to freak <laughs> out. She's going to be like, wait, what? Because she's, she's huge. And, and then if I tell her, like, you worked on a story about three witches, she's a huge witches fan. Like, she uh, loves witches. She loves Casper. Uh, Pink Panther, that's her stuff. So wait till I tell her. They were all. They, <laughs> they were all, wait till they, they I got one up. On. <laughs> they they were all fun to work on. It was uh, that was a period for about four years where every time uh, Mike Wolfer, the editor, contacted me, it was it was another legendary character to work on. You know, <laughs> I cannot think of a, a a better resume than that. You know, like uh. And it's crazy because uh, when I was when I was um, bouncing from uh, like looking for an IT job, I was like, all right, I want to make my resume look as as better as I can. You know, I added, <laughs> you know, you add you add pages to your to different codes that you worked on and stuff yeah, like right. that. And I was like, okay, I saw. I was looking at other people's resumes. I'm like, okay, but this is definitely the first time I've been like I have nothing to say when it comes to resume because you just work <laughs> so many projects like the I, I i believe i am starstruck now matt um <laughs> i am not gonna lie <laughs> uh, it's just me I'm, I'm not worth being starstruck over i i don't know i beg to differ i doubt that highly um, um, i doubt that and i'm pretty sure i listen to highly the, doubt that some some of the other characters that might be uh, referring there when i worked at the charlton arrow before i did underdog um i worked with roger mckenzie and roger used to work at marvel comics and he's best known for writing daredevil 
and he's really best known as the guy that wrote Daredevil before Frank Miller. <laughs> um, and actually, he wrote Frank's first Daredevil story. Uh, Danny O'Neill had a leftover Roger McKenzie plot, and that turned out to be Frank's first Daredevil uh, story. But anyway, uh, Roger, for the Charlton Arrow, wanted to do this character called Stinky Skunk, which was a character published by Charlton Comics in the 60s who only appeared in one story. And so uh, Mort Todd, uh, who is the editor, contacted me and he goes, you know, Roger really wants to work with a good cartoonist. And he wants to work with you. Will you do this stinky skunk thing? And I said, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they sent me the, the script and it was, a, it was a fun story. So I drew it up. Uh, I actually, while I was working on the story, uh, went out to Colorado and met Roger. He lives in uh, just outside of Denver. And I didn't go out there to meet him. I was out there to go see a, a, a concert at Red Rocks, um, and um, yeah, Red which Rocks. is a great Beautiful. venue, by the way. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful place. It, I, I don't care if it's the, uh, you know, the Philadelphia Kazoo Harmonica. Go it doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't Red matter how it's playing. I agree a thousand go percent. It. <laughs> uh, so it was really cool to go see Roger while I was working on the story uh, and and get to talk to him about it. Um, uh, so that might be some of the other stuff they're referencing. There, I have a couple unpublished stories uh, that I did at the Charlton Arrow. They're all stinky skunk stories. Um, but I, uh, I never received comp copies or anything, so I'm not sure if any of them have ever been published or not. Okay. Wow, man. Oh. Um, just on that last thing that you said, do you get a copy of everything that you've done? Um, I currently, I think do actually have, with the exception of maybe the Charlton Arrow stuff, I have copies of everything I've done. Um, the publishers usually send you stuff. Um, American Mythology, uh, when I asked them, is uh, pretty good about sending me comp copies of stuff. I can imagine. But that's um, and Brian uh, is really is really good about sending me, you know, all the variants that get published uh, of our <laughs> stuff and all that stuff. Uh, and I have to say, it is one of the fun parts of the job. Like this big box of comics just shows up on the door one day. <laughs> <laughs> let's, oh, let, I, let's not talk about big boxes. So. <laughs> One of my best introductions about Miguel is the fact that he owns he owns over 3000 comics, um, a wide variety. And you see, eh, it might have grew like <laughs> no, because I've never really sat down and counted. I just know there's like box and there's like what, like a hundred of them fit in there. In so, see, box, look, or... I counted one box, like one box, and I estimated um, you got about a good 3000 comics there. It's a fantastic collection. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I think I'm a little bit more um, excited. Um, so any comic that I get from uh, from a comic book artist that I get to talk to, or I get to meet, I put on my walls. So like yeah. my wall, oh, cool. I got one of my walls that's full on that side. Uh, the wall right here next to me is doesn't look like much yet, but it's all like fan work. Oh, and cool stuff like that. That what's it called? Um, which is I, you know, sometimes I'll go to comic book comic book uh, conventions. I'll talk to artists, you know, like buy buy something from theirs or ask them to draw something for me, and like I'll put it on this wall, and the comic books go on that wall over there. Nice. I, I will show you, but there's there's a mess in the middle. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, but like I, I'm very excited about that, and I did get some comics from Matt 
and those are definitely going to go on that wall up there. Um, yes, I got your orders today. Yes, that's yeah, they're going up. There. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you right now. They, they, yep, right there. Right there. <laughs> I'll, I'll put it right next to my my sign Stan Lee comic. I'll put it right there next to that one. Oh, awesome! <laughs> cool. Thank you. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, what was your question, Ernest? <laughs> no, I didn't have a question. Continue. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Okay, so um, just to remind everybody, the Kickstarter is active right now. You could actually go into uh, the Kickstarter website. Uh, you could look up uh, Marty and Spud. Um, what's it called? It'll be under the uh, Gorilla Publishing. And there's a lot of tiers. I was looking at the tiers. Uh, personally, I always go for the tiers that has the comic. Uh, and if it has a shirt, if it has a T-shirt, I yep. go for those. And that's that's what I wear. <laughs> yeah. Like that's that's my clothes. I agree. That's I'm my that's that's my nice clothes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's my fiance likes to do. That she she's a big t shirt person, so she always goes for the t shirts. <laughs> so yeah, um, so I would definitely encourage everybody to go over to Kickstarter. Definitely look at look at the stuff. Um, and I guarantee you will not. So we like to do this thing where we like to tell people that are listening to this podcast if. You go and get this book and you join a Kickstarter. If you are not content, I will let that person come up to me and and ask for your money back. <laughs> well, originally it would slap me in the face, right? But then I was like, <laughs> you know what? Um I, I that's kind I of the that, that's kind of like uh at, at one point it was the money maker right now. Since I started <laughs> COVID hit, I gained a little weight. So you know, like I guess it could take a few smacks. Uh, but no, definitely. Like, I don't think anybody will regret it. Uh, just hearing hearing your uh, your long resume of of uh, comics that you've worked on, uh, I think this is definitely a book that everybody needs to go and uh, get a copy. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I think we will definitely love to have you in the future for another episode because we will definitely love to pick your brain. Oh, I sure. I'd love to come back. I think one episode is definitely not enough to uh, <laughs> to talk about it. Uh, I promise for the second episode, I will not be as starstruck as this one. Oh, no, <laughs> no I, I, I don't promise that. I don't promise that. I, was saying that. <laughs> I don't promise that. Uh, but uh, yeah. So thank you, Matt, for uh, joining. Um, thank you for having me. This has been great. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, so for everybody that is listening, where can they follow you or your work? Um, you can follow me. Uh, the easiest place to follow me is probably on Instagram. Um, I'm Matthew Hansel on Instagram and also uh, Marty and Spud on Instagram as well. Uh, they have their own Instagram page. Oh, nice. um, also, I'm on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Matthew Hansel um, and also facebook.com slash Marty and Spud. Awesome. So uh, thank you once again, Matthew. And uh, for everybody that's listening, Definitely uh, follow us on all social media and run to Kickstarter and try and try and reserve your copy because I do not guarantee I do not guarantee that once me and Ernest log out of the computer, (laughs) we will not go and do the same exact same thing. So you you, got to beat us because, I mean, there's there's limited seats for certain of these things. And, you know, like you got to be faster than I am. That's true. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you once again, Matthew. And uh, thank you. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. (laughs) Okay, everybody. And thank you. And until next time. Until next time.